Welcome to the Mental Advantage Podcast. Whether you're an athlete trying to perform at your best when it counts the most, a coach or business leader trying to get more out of your team, or someone looking for more personal growth, this is the place for you. This podcast is your map to guide you to the right mindset, systems, and strategies you need to become the best version of yourself. And now, here's John Cullen and Brandon Allen. All right, Brandon, uh, you know, we have over probably the last two or three months had a little bit of a Charleston, South Carolina theme to the show, I think is (laughs) probably pretty accurate at this point uh, with with Coach Ralph uh, Cibitary and, of course, our friend Scott Foxhall, uh, Coach Scott Foxhall from Mississippi State. Um, Seems like there was another Charleston person in there but we have another one tonight uh nina sossaman pogue who when we knew of nina she was nina sossaman who was our local um television anchor reporter Mm -hmm. i think probably even just reporter at the time but uh, really really excited about having her on the show tonight um nina has an unbelievable story to tell about just somebody who has gone through life as she likes to say um you know she is the result of plot twists of your own her own unique life story sure. um and 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 i think you'll hear the listeners will hear that there is a lot of different you know twists and turns that have happened plot twists as she says and you know her whole message is about and she talks about this as a keynote speaker she's a best selling author but just about how you navigate around that, you know, the resilience piece, the dealing with adversity piece. I love the fact that, you know, you talk about the resilience and and, and the different hurdles or pivot points that she had. And, you know, she talks about coming out of each one of those more successful and, and learning from every obstacle that she had. Um, I mean, to your point, you know, two books, a, a really good podcast called This Seriously Sucks. Um, I mean, she just, she's a former athlete and, and world-class athlete. I mean, there's just, there's just so many layers to um, the life that she's led and the lessons that she's learned through that life. Um, I think it's really the resiliency that she'll touch on and how that really kind of is her, her theme of, of life. And it's not necessarily just, you know, being gritty and and all that it's, it's actually being resilient um, is, is a great thing for the listeners to hear. Well, Brandon, we have a great one tonight. I mean, I feel like we're just gifting the audience like this whole week. I mean, we had Scott Foxhall, who, of course, our former teammate and good friend, um, China McCarney coming up. And now we have just an absolutely fascinating guest tonight. Nina Sossman Pogue uh, is joining us. And Nina is a best-selling author. She's been an award-winning television personality. She's a keynote speaker of, on topics such as resilience and adversity and achievement. And you'll understand why that is. Uh, it'll be very evident during the show. Um, but Nina, we can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. 
Hi, I'm so happy to be here. It's really great to uh, be a part of this. Yeah. So Nina, take us back. Um, one of the things I want to point out before we get too far into this. So both of the books, one is called, This Is Not the End. It's strategies to get you through the worst chapters of your life. And then the other one, this is a really great one for you working moms out there is, but I want both the working mom's guide to creating a life she loves. And, you know, one in one of your keynotes, you shared the definition of resilience. And I want to start with this because you said, you know, it's the ability to grow stronger from adversity and adapt in a positive way to whatever happens in our life. Now, our listeners will know to put this in some perspective. So from a mental performance standpoint, there's an equation we use a lot called E plus R equals O. It's event plus response equals outcome. And as I was preparing for this show and doing a little bit more research on you, I don't think we've had a guest on this show that's a better representation of E plus R equals O than exactly. you are. I mean, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. So where did that come from? Where did, where did, I mean, we'll get into some of your story here, but where do you think this resilience came from? Was it something that you just happened organically because of necessity or was that something that you were brought up to be that way? Well, you know, it took me a long time to get to that word when I decided I was going to be a keynote speaker. And I had to go back and dig deep because people were like, how do you keep reinventing yourself and find higher levels of success on the other side? So I was uh, you know, an athlete and then I was a news anchor and then I got into tech and had great success there. And in between all that, I had these really low lows, which we'll unpack. But I kept having people come to me and ask me, you know, how did you do that? What is it about you? How, why do some people have success after failure and some people don't, or how come some people stay in a a certain level and can't get past it? And so it took some soul searching and some research to figure it out. But I think it, a lot of it stems for me personally, from being a gymnast. I mean, there's, you gotta be really resilient as a gymnast. You spend most of the day falling and screwing up and your coach telling what you did wrong. So you can (laughs) someday land on your feet instead of your face. So you start out pretty resilient from the age of what four or five when I started gymnastics. Um, So that definitely builds something in you uh, that is different because I'm very different from my brothers and sisters. um, And I find that I have a real connection with a lot of athletes and former athletes. And I love to hire athletes as an executive. Uh, There's something about that that builds resilience. um, And that's part of it is the coachable piece too. You don't let you, when, you, when you mess up, you strike out or right. you have a bad day, you don't stop. <laughs> no. You take direction, you get better and you get out that's there it. and get it right the next time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, it, I mean, that's not an option, right? I mean, giving up is not the option. No. I, I want you to, to talk a little bit about this because you mentioned gymnastics and I was fascinated with this. Is So at the age of 13, and I hope, correct me on any of this I don't have right, but at the age of 13, you leave home and you go to a training facility in DC for gymnastics. Is that correct? And that's with the USA gymnastics team? Yes. So you did do your homework. Uh, I moved up. My family was in Florida. I'm a Navy brat. So I grew up all over. Uh, All of us Navy brats know how to, military brats, we know how to make friends really easily. I can make friends (laughs) with the wall. Um, So I I grew up a military brat. And at 13, um, I had an opportunity to move and train under one of the top coaches who had an Olympic training center in DC. It's before they had the training center out in, in Texas. And so this was, or in Colorado Springs for the, the, you know, right before the Olympics. So this was an opportunity for me. And I moved up there um, and started eighth grade up in, uh, it was actually in Silver Spring, Maryland, right outside of DC. Didn't know yep. a soul. It was like the nerdy kid that you know did that. Yeah. So it was, exactly it was a good way to grow is. up. 
Yeah, in Silver Spring. It was actually an Olney, which is really tiny if you want to. That's where Olney the actually, goes. little uh, side note for the listeners, Olney is where the uh, sniper, DC sniper, really first started um, doing the DC sniper stuff. Yeah, it was oh, in yeah. Olney, Maryland. Yeah, so not to so, get you sidetracked. Sorry about that. There you go. Um, well, you're... Oh, we won't sidetrack too far, but your sports fans would know another. I went to Sherwood High School. I stayed up there all the way through high school, made the U.S. team, and lived okay. up in that area with my coaches. But uh, we're gonna—I'll I'll save it. I'll give you a yeah. little a teaser a now. Teaser. I'll tell you who That's else right. went to who else went to Sherwood High School that I am sure all of your listeners know. That's awesome. No, that's fantastic. Well, I mean, that's got to be talk about already starting to deal with, you know, having to overcome some of the things you're by yourself, right? I mean, your parents, nobody's going up there with you. So you're young, 13, 14, 15 years old, and you're probably just like every other athlete starting to deal with the highs and the lows of it doesn't always come out great, right? When you're out there training, you have good days and your bad days. So it's almost like, I love to look back on people's lives and see where, there's little things that started to be the building block, right. That prepared you almost maybe not even thinking about it, you, you know, but it started to prepare you for some of the things you would face later on in your life. Absolutely. I became fiercely independent. You learn to take care of yourself. You realize that no one is going to be in charge of your success, but you, uh, you're in with a bunch of other talented athletes. There were young women from all over the country there. And they all wanted the same thing I wanted. They wanted to make the U.S. team, travel, represent the United States, and someday on an Olympic year, make an Olympic team. Um, so you learn that there's, I think, the keys early on in my life that I took from that is, one, I'm in charge of my own destiny. I can work hard or I can not work hard. You get that really, you realize it really fast when you're in a setting with a lot of really talented people. And you realize there's always somebody ahead of you and there's always somebody coming up behind you. You're yeah. in there somewhere. And, you know, that's, that's just life. I've always told my kids that like, there's, you can compare yourself to anybody, but there's always going to be somebody ahead of you. And there's always going to be somebody wishing they were you like, you're just in the mix somewhere. And I I always used to tell them, you know, go be you. Everybody else is taken. Just be the best you. I love that. Yeah. So Nina, is there a point? Cause I mean, this is highly competitive. This is like you said, to, to make the, the U S national team and, and hopefully qualify for an Olympics, but how do you navigate that as as an athlete, as a young athlete that is wildly independent, but also, like you mentioned, kind of being able to make friends with a wall? I mean, how how does how do you how do you marry those two things together in that type of an environment at such a young age without a whole lot of guidance from having you know parents be right there? Because John and I talk about it a lot of times you know, your parents are usually kind of that first kind of mental coach and help shape it. So, I mean, kudos to you for being able to navigate that, but can you remember a time where you were just like, where it just kind of clicked or or how you, how you brought those two things together? Well, I think from a real, I'm the youngest of four kids and my dad was always overseas and my mom was raising all four of us and working. So (laughs) a joke sometimes kind of free range parenting. So uh, (laughs) we, we had to be pretty independent to begin with. And I'm much younger than my older three. So I think I learned at a very young age to get the food, (laughs) get in there, get whatever I needed to get, you know, and, and, and fend for myself. But as an athlete, uh, I, I don't know exactly where I got it. I loved to be coached. I really liked to be, uh, to, I was looking for improvement, looking for improvement, but I did have to balance that with my need for everybody to like me. I wanted to mm. be 
you know, I wanted everybody to like me. I, I am that sure. kind of person. I have some issues there. Um, but uh, uh, I re- like, the, okay, here's a great example. We would train really hard and I was always worried about everybody else. Somebody would get hurt. I'd be the one running to get a mice. Mm. I was always that person. The year that Mary Lou Retton won her first USA championships, I won Miss Congeniality. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And, and just so, for the listeners, and who was your roommate that year? Well, when we when I made the U.S. team and we did some traveling, I actually roomed with Mary Lou. Yeah, Not because you. we were like number one and two, but because we were Rofi. My maiden name is Rofi, and it's yeah. Rofi and Retton, and we're just the R's. And Retton. our coaches were friends. Our coaches yeah. were good friends before she went to the training center when she was still in, as you said, in West Virginia. Yeah. So, so take us... Now, so you do that all the way up through Sherwood High School. Where where does the, all of a sudden now it's like you run in some obstacles, right? It's almost like the first, that's probably the first this is we'll talk about here shortly. Where mm-hmm. you, you, I love the way that you phrase that is, you know, uh, and we'll get into that, that word this for the listeners. But that was one of your first this moments, right? So talk a little bit about what happened there. Yeah. And um, when I use the word this, I just talk about anything that's adversity in your life, anything that happens to you. We all have little thises and big thises. We all deal with stuff. And so my big this is my, my capital T, capital H, capital I S. It's like the big stuff. Yeah. My first big one was um, while I was up in Maryland. So I'm living away from home. I'm training. I make the U.S. team. So I'm in Japan and Hungary and Germany. I'm going all over. We're in the USA. They send you the back then they'd send you the big box with all your USA stuff in it. Yeah. And it just like you felt like you made it. I still have my letter because it wasn't email back then. I have a letter that says you've been selected. So, and, and so I was, had the opportunity to represent the United States and do that. And then uh, I go and we had the uh, trials for the year of the Olympics, those trials as you build your way up and I bombed and mm. I didn't make it. I had grown a little bit. I mean, everybody has excuses, you know, you can put right. a million things down there, but I, I wasn't the you know, I, I, even on the U.S. team, I was never number one, two, or three. Okay. You know, I was I was in there. I was so proud right. just to be a part of it. Sure. Um, Mary Lou's got this God-given talent, and she I could try something for six months and train it and train it and train it and ball and ball and ball. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd run into her at a meet because we weren't training in the same gym all the time. But I'd run into her at a meet. And she's like, oh, that's so cool. Let me try it. And she'd get it on the second try. I mean, she just was an amazing athlete. So some yeah. people have that. I worked really hard. I loved being coachable. I was really strong and fearless. I would throw crazy stuff nobody else would do, but I didn't have what some people call that God-given talent. Like some people just come out and they just have that in baseball and their swing and their ability to see the ball when it's come. Like it's, it's just there. Um, So I didn't have that, but I trained really hard. So that year uh, we had the, the team trials, the first round of team trials. uh, And I bombed. I um, actually was, and I fell off the bars. I was doing a, um, a giant swing with right. turning around the top and pirouetting. And my hands were like right this and I actually wouldn't let go of the bar. Cause I was, oh, no. I didn't quite get up far enough yeah. and I just wasn't going to let go. I actually busted my wrist cause I wouldn't let go because I wasn't going to give up. I was that determined, but um, yeah, so I, I didn't have a good meet. So I didn't do well there. And then I didn't do well on a couple other events and I didn't make it. And after all those years, and I was on the front. I was living, you know, in D.C. They had um, lots of press around the media. I mean, media mm-hmm. and press around the Olympics. Right. So I was on the cover of these magazines, Maryland's Olympic hopeful. And there was all this buildup. And so when you don't make it after this huge expectation, that was my first big, like very public loss. 
very mm-hmm. big public public failure, yeah. this big this yeah. that I had to figure out how to navigate because that was it. And and nowadays you see athletes go on and do another Olympics, but back then no one did more than one. I mean, right. I was right, right. about 17. I was not going to stick around for another four years and I wanted to do college. So there was just this, I, that was, I'd worked my whole life for this. And I felt like I wasted my whole life. Right. This was you, know? you. This was what defined you, right? I mean, this was right. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like nowadays it would have been my, it would have been my Twitter handle. It would have been my Instagram. Right. It would have right. been everything. You yeah. know, then it was on my bumper sticker and it was on my yeah. sweatshirts, you know, my yeah, sweatshirts. Yeah. Right, it's right. just a different time, but it was who I was. It's who I identified as the first thing. Like, who are you? Oh, I mean, I'm a gymnast. Like right. that was who I was. So really difficult to figure that out and not make the U.S. team and and to go back to my high school and just be embarrassed. And I really felt like I just wasted my high school years because I spent Mm. all my time in the gym. I look back now and for all the young young athletes listening, and I realized none of that was wasted. I had a pretty amazing high school experience compared to most people. I was traveling all over the world. But even so, the things that I learned about being an athlete and having to schedule and having to get my homework in and be disciplined, all of that carries into the rest of your life. And I've had huge success in the rest of my life because of that basic learning that I had to do and that fierce independence and discipline that you had to have at an early age. Yeah, Yeah. no question about it. Well, and then you end up becoming one of the, I mean, rightfully so, right? I mean, you're on the cusp of making the Olympic team. Of course, you're going to be one of the highly, you know, sought after recruits in gymnastics and you find your way to LSU. um, And Uh, they recruited me. I have to tell you, because you guys are baseball. They recruited me and they had this cute baseball player pick me up. (laughs) They, don't do they always rely like on the that. baseball players. We did the Dak. <laughs> wait, he's a coach down in the SC. Like, wait, Mitch Gaspar. Do you guys know Mitch? He does Mitch a bunch of recruiting Gaspar. stuff. He's, a co- he's still coaching down there yeah, somewhere. That's funny. He they he was probably a junior when I was a freshman. I don't know my, why I still remember his name, but he he they had him pick me up at the you know just like I used to pick up football players. Right, the sure, they do yeah, that so much. Anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so they, they recruited me and they brought me in. It was Mardi Gras. They had a cute baseball player pick me up. It was just a different time of recruiting. Right. Yes. I ended up at LSU, which is super competitive with gymnastics. Um, D bro, who's there, who just recently uh, stepped uh, off the gymnastics floor. She was my coach when we were her early wow. years. Oh, wow. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. She's been there a long time. That's amazing. So now all of a sudden when you're at LSU and, and as I was telling Brandon, some of this today, you have another, this that happens. It's not like it happens like junior year, senior year or whatever, which you could argue might've even been worse, but right off the bat, tell us about that. Yeah. So I get into my freshman season, trained hard, um, just, you know, really recommitted. I was so happy to be back among people who had given their whole life. It was really cool to be a college athlete. You, I was in Bruce Art Hall at LSU with football players and basketball players and golf and tennis and so on, like all of the athletes together. And all of us had spent our lives in the gym, given up a lot to be there. So you're with like-minded people. And I just really felt like I'd found my place. I loved school. I loved my new friends. I loved representing LSU. It was just a purple and gold, which just became my blood. And I that experience was great. And so I was competing and I was uh, about halfway through the season and um, I threw a beam dismount and actually my coach had said not to throw it. Uh, So this is another moment of learning for me. She's like, and and it was, I could do the thing in my sleep, but to stick it and not, and to not move, it was a 
it was a, a difficult landing. And yeah. college, it's all about the landings and the perfection, not about the difficulty of the skill as much okay. in some instances. So I wanted to throw something harder because in my head, I had to throw hard things. Right. So I threw this dismount that I should not have thrown. Um, and I just hit just right. And it was like my knee was a stick shift. It just went out the front and all the way around and blew out my um, ACL and a bunch of other stuff. And I, I never came back from that injury. It was my oh, second man. time really injuring it, but there's pictures of the paramedics down there on the mat with me that made the front of the Reveille, which was the paper yes. down there. It said another one bites the dust. It was so, yeah. uh, you know, so, and we'd had a few in, in gymnasts injured. So blew out my knee and lost my sport. And talk about going from not knowing who you are. Then I really went through. It was a, it? Yeah, I went through a really long struggle of figuring out who I was without gymnastics. It was. Um, I made some poor choices. Uh, kind of. I always joke that I sort of spent a few years majoring in booze and boys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but the booze and boys years taught me things too. Yeah, that's true. And uh, and I, you know, I finally had to pick myself up and get going again. Um, back then, when you did a. ACL replacement. I have a huge screw in my knee. They don't do yeah. this surgery anymore. No. Um, and so back then though, you put you in a immobilized you all the way from my ankle to my hip. Uh, I was in a wheelchair for a while. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like you would have that injury today. It was a very different experience. Um, and I really had a hard time coming back from it and going from, you know, what is that? Cause I'd also done some modeling you know, I was oh, really? cute yeah. and I was going to college and I yeah. did Mark with Bart Connor. I've got a lot of pictures of me and Bart modeling leotards and sweatsuits and stuff. So I'd gone from like being all that to like yeah. sitting in a wheelchair and not knowing who I was without my sport. And I really um, was pretty dark for a long time. And, and what I found, and I don't think it's that way so much now is, you know, college athletics, they're there to win. And they needed to focus on the, the girls who were still there and competing. Um, there was not anything in place to really to help me. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know Brandon has something to say, Nina, but that picture that was in that newspaper, I guess it was, cause I saw this online. It is one of the, it's so excruciating because the facial expression you have, you can tell it's like in that moment that somebody just perfectly captures this moment where you realize this is it. Like, this is probably it. Right. I mean, it yeah. was just, it was really hard to look at Brandon. Well, it, well, it kind of plays into that is, is, I mean, just like that, you've lost identity, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's the thing that we we talk about this a lot with um, some of the mental professionals and clinicians that we have on the show is so many athletes and and gosh, I think you you even probably take it to a different level, Nina, because you you are, I mean, you moved away for this, and 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 there are athletes that kind of sacrifice and then what you're talking about is, is just almost next level losing that identity or being done with the sport, even if it's not because of injury, but just because father time catches up and says, Hey, we're, we're done. Right. Like this is, this is it. It, it, And maybe this is a difficult question to, to answer on, but what kind of difference would it have made? You said you didn't have anybody and now you look at schools today and they do have these mental professionals that are there just to help with those transitions. And, and it is to help the athlete that may not long, may not be part of that team or community anymore. Can you speak on to, would that have helped you back then? Or, or would you, do you think you still kind of go into the booze and boys 
um, for a while? And I mean, is it just the natural progression or, or could you have gotten some help? Do you think? No, I think I would have gotten help a lot sooner. No, I do think there's a part, especially with gymnasts, because we didn't date, we didn't drink, I didn't do anything. So by the time I got to college, I'm like, oh, I got making up to do. So there was, that was going to happen, I think. But I could have had, um, but if if I had some counseling and some people around me kind of making sure I was going in the right direction and wasn't really on my own all over again. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this in my book, because I have a son. Um, I think I, I, I'm not sure if you guys know that. So he played ball and then he had Tommy John. And so I watched him lose his sport. I mean, I was at the game when he threw his arm and I could see his whole world and all the college coaches, the college recruiters were there. And it was like high school, like it was right at the end of high school. And he already had been to some recruiting things. He'd already done some college visits and like it went and his defeat and deflation and just his whole world shattered in that moment. And I could see it and feel it so viscerally because I'd been there. Um, But I was able to just be in that sucky moment with him and let it suck and not try to cheer him up, you know, and then I was able to help him through that and make sure that he knew that life was bigger than this. And I, I talk so much in my book and, and when I'm out speaking to about why it's so important to look at life as life is long. Um, and I do the math in my book. I don't know if you want to get into that yeah, now, but it's my, I do. It's my favorite I, thing to talk about. I love that piece of it. Talk about this, Nina, because I had shared this with a, a text with you yesterday and I was already talking to Brandon about this this afternoon. It's one of my favorite things. I just did it with, with one of my reps today. Like I've already it. used it. Yeah. 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 I did it for a CEO, that. a CEO in Chicago. I, I I spoke at an event in Chicago for a whole bunch of um, surgical centers and the CEO yeah. afterwards, he's like, Oh my gosh, I have to do the closing. And now I'm just going to throw out my timeline. So it's just <laughs> a cool way to look at your life. And um, if you think about it this way, I'm going to take it back. I'll tell you when I was injured, I was almost 20 when I blew out my knee, I was older to go to college. And then I had gone through the part of the season, spring season. So I was about 20, almost I was 19. Um, so I'd been in the gym my whole life since I was four. And at that moment in my life, that was, of course, it felt like my whole life was over. It is everything I knew about life. Yeah. It was eight, more than 80% of my life had been spent in a gym. And I just knew it. That was my life experience. It's who I was. And so, of course, if like my whole life was ruined um, and that I just wasted it. I mean, I had all these thoughts that every athlete has, you know, let's think of my sunset. It's like I spent all those, you know, all that time in batting cages and all that right. time, like extra hours and pitching and pitching coaches. And like, he's like, I, was, we should have just saved all that money. We should have saved all that time. And in my head, I knew you're going to be an amazing freaking human. And we all go pro in something else. So I'm not worried about it, but I can't tell him in that moment. Um, uh, He's in med school now. He's going to be fine. (laughs) Like I I said, I mean, all three of mine. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) He's, he's really going to be a great orthopedic surgeon. Um, I think he's going to be okay. But he, at that moment felt like everything was over, but I did raise all three of my kids and I encourage everybody. We all go pro in something else at some point. So you know, you got to use your mind. You got to use the other skills you have. But anyway, uh, before I do the math on this, remember when you were 10, 10 years old, and just felt like your life, like the summers were like so long, like this magical three months of time that felt like they went on forever, yeah, like time absolutely. with your friends and like riding bikes, playing until it got dark outside. I don't know what kids today do, but that's what we do. We play kickball yeah. on the street till it got dark. Yeah. So that like, what does that feel like? It feels like the time, like summer's so long when you're 10 years old. Now, when you're 40 and you're parenting a 10-year-old, okay, that's your the summer's like boom, where, where the hell did oh. that go? 
And when you're 40, okay, that year of your life is one fortieth of your whole life. When you're 10, it is one tenth of your whole life. Same 365 days, but the math works differently. So when I was a gymnast and I lost my sport at 19, say, and it was almost 80% of my life had been spent in a gym. It felt like it was everything. Now, by the time I was 50, I was, I had been parenting kids for more than 20 years. And that was a much bigger piece of my life. And gymnastics for the percentage of my life, that was gymnastics is much smaller. Um, I I think it comes out to uh, uh, teens. Um, But when I'm, when I am a hundred, if I live to be a hundred and I need to, you know, drink less wine, take better care of myself. But (laughs) if I live to be a hundred, that's the goal. um, Then that's even going to be less. You know, that piece is going to be, this is even a smaller percentage. And it, it, I can look at my gymnastics now and appreciate what it was and all the things it taught me and realize that it wasn't my whole life. But absolutely in that moment, moment it feels like it is. Yeah. So that understanding that we can have with young athletes, that yes, it does feel like it is everything because it's everything they know. Yeah. But years down the road, they'll look back and go, oh, I like my life is long. No, after that, I did television. I fell in love a bunch of times. I got married. Of course, I got married again. I did television. I did tech. I flew up and down the East Coast to New York and did business stuff. I mean, I did a lot of things that I thought that I could never have imagined in that moment. Right. And I just think that if we can encourage young people to look at their life as long, um, I do this, my, my, it's chapter six in my book. So, just even if you don't want to read my book, folks, you just go get chapter six and read it. You'll like it. It's really fun. Um, but my daughter will say like when she, she, when she was in college, she just graduated, but during the pandemic or like after some big party, when people had made, you know, gotten too drunk and made asses of themselves or something, she'd be like, Oh, so-and-so is just like wanted to quit school this morning. And they just think their life's over. Cause they made a jerk of themselves last night. Her language is different than this. I don't know even what kids say, these days. but anyway, uh, but she was like, she said, I had to go do chapter six again. She goes, I do chapter six, like three times a week, you know? So I just love it that she calls it chapter six thinking it's this lifetime thinking and you can put your life. So if you make a timeline from zero to hundred um, yeah. and you put in like for mine, you can see gymnastics goes up to about 19 or 20 and then television comes in at about 21, 22. And it lasts until I'm 40 and then all in the next 12 years are in, in tech and I'm yeah. working in a software company and taking it public, you know, and then I'm an author and a speaker. Like there are big chunks of my time in there. And then I put the things that happened to me down below to all the tough stuff that I went through. So right. I can, I can have an appreciation for what I went through. And I also put in my kids and places I lived and you could just to look at your life that way gives you the ability to create some perspective and the best thing about looking at it that way is this timeline up ahead and you can put anything you want there. Absolutely. And I love, and it's so smart. And, I, and thank you for unpacking that because I love that you talk about this idea of life as a book, right? It's a, it's a page because the reason I, I really gravitated to that particular point is when I'm speaking to groups, I talk a lot about you are the author of your own story and you take COVID, for example, we just went through this year and we're still in the process of this. Uh, and I talked to, to, to audiences a lot about, you know, you, when you're writing this chapter of 2020 or 2021, you get to decide what role COVID's going to play in that. It can be a starring role where you talk to people later on. And that chapter is, this was all I was able to accomplish because of COVID. 
Or you can take it the other way and say, look at all I was able to accomplish in spite of COVID, right? So it's whatever role you decide you want to have that thing play in, in your, you know, but I love the idea of having like, this is just one page. It's, it's like a day. We talk about this all the time. It's like, you know, kind of in that neutral thought of like, that just happened, but it has no bearing on what's about to happen kind of a thing. And, you know, it's really cool. Yeah. And I, I like to think about it. If we all are writing our own stories, we absolutely don't let anybody else hold the pen and write your story. We're yeah. all in charge of that ourselves. And it's the language you choose, like during the COVID example, where you stuck at home or safe at home, you know, like what's the language in your head that you're telling yourself, you know, and, and five years from now, it's going to be a story that you're going to tell. Yeah. Um, like we all have our 9-11 stories. We just went through that anniversary and we all can remember where we were and what happened. You know, five years from now, it's going to be a story that you tell and you have a choice of the language you assign it and what you do during that time and how you look at it. Um, but the whole idea of your life being a book, how I always unpack it, you can like picture, picture, if you're listening, picture the book of your life. What does it look like? Like the book of your, is it a hardback? Is it a softback? Are you a little quirky? Maybe it's a comic book. Are you like drama? You're like Harry Potter. You got a bunch of volumes. Like what does the book of your life look like? If you can picture what that looks like and now picture what color the cover is. Okay. And picture it's your book. It's your whole life. And that's it. Now open that book to today. Okay. Right there. So this is kind of cool. We're having a crossover moment. We're all in each other's books right now. Um, that's right. It's that crossover, you know, episode or Supergirl <laughs> shows up. I'm like, wait, what is she doing here? Um, hey, how did she get here? How did she get here? Wait, it's a flash. Wait, I don't know. Um, Anyway, so we're, you open that book to today um, and we're all in a page in our book. Some of us, you know, are earlier on in our book and have a lot of blank pages ahead. Some people may be in the middle like me. Some people may be further along in that book, uh, but you're on a page and everything you've done till now has led up to that. And so much of what you've worried about in the past never even made it in your freaking book. So you spent extra time worrying about that, that you shouldn't have to just to remind folks that half the stuff that goes on in our lives doesn't even really make it into the book. Little stuff like you know, you, a, a bad late game, for work, or right. Yeah. Or a bad game or a failure. It's like it, half of it doesn't even make it in the book. Right. Um, but everything that you've done up to, um, is up to this page in the book. And then all the pages ahead, the best part about this thought and this image in your head of your book right now, all the pages ahead are blank. There's nothing in them. Yeah. You're going to decide the stories, the people, the places, the words that are there. Um, you could totally decide to be a different person, wake up tomorrow and sell everything and get an RV and drive around the country and like decide you're going to go to the world's largest whatevers and like check out whatever. I always talk about that in my keynote, every town I'm in. World's largest rocking chair, world's largest tire, world's largest ketchup bottle. You know, they have all these weird roadside attractions. Right. You could just decide to throw everything away and check those all out for the next 10 years and be yeah. that guy. Um you have more control over your life than anybody else, whether you're an athlete, whether you're um, working in business. So the idea that all those pages are blank, that you get to decide what's going to be there should be really one comforting because there's a lot of blank time ahead, no matter what the crappy chapter you're in right now, you know, you can be in a really, really crappy chapter and feel like it's never going to, you're going to keep turning pages. You don't, you're not going to stay on that page. You know, so you might as well start making a future that has, you know, maybe different people or different places or different mindset in it because the the world, your story is going to continue. Um, and, you know, we talk about this word resilience um, and, and a lot of people, especially in athletic programs. So I don't want to rub anybody the wrong way, but I'm going to rub somebody the wrong way. Um, <laughs> the idea that there's so many people who talk about grit 
and persistence, which are both really important ideas. I'm all about grit and persistence. I know it's important in sports, but what you've noticed over the last year and a half or whatever, this COVID time, this pandemic land we're in, the word resilience has been really key. People are not talking about grit and persistence. You can't just double down or go harder, do more. You have to adapt and change. And that's the difference with resilience, that ability to adapt and change in a positive manner when something goes on. You know, the people who just wanted to double down and keep going, their companies failed. Their yeah. their businesses went under. Their, their relationships failed. Like you, you just can't. You've got to, when something big happens, if you're going to be resilient, you've got to get to the point where you accept that it is what it is, adapt and adjust and move forward. And I think that that is one of the reasons that I'm finding. And I have a theory that in the future, in the years that follow this pandemic that we're all going through. I do think that the athletes and companies, the CEOs who've been athletes, the leaders and management who've been athletes will rise to the top and they will be the ones who are the leaders of tomorrow because they already know how to do that. They're coachable. They know how to adapt Mm -hmm. and change. They take the field and the other teams doing something weird. They don't just stick to the game. They adapt and they change or, you know, they get to a meet and something hurts. They, they adjust their routine. Like they, they know. And when the coach tells them to do something, they take it into consideration and they make the change. They don't get hurt by it. So I have a theory that five years from now, Harvard Business Review is going to go through and look at all of the people who've been really successful after this pandemic. And there's going to be a majority of them who grew up as athletes. It's a, a really, really great point. And I could not agree with you more. So if you're rubbing people the wrong way, then I'm rubbing people the wrong way with like, you. I like grit and persistence. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. but it, No, I, I think it's interesting because we've seen this play out already in the pandemic and those organizations who have been able to sustain themselves throughout is they quickly adapted and changed early mm-hmm. on. They had a plan. Number one, they had an exit strategy, if you will, or at least a, you know, it's the old thing about the goal doesn't change just the path to get to the goal changes, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, you're going to run into some roadblocks, but it, it's still being able to get around it. It's um, it's kind of the changing the narrative. You know, when, right. when I think about, that whole idea of like, you're telling your own story. I think of, there's a story I heard earlier this year about Alfred Nobel, of course, with the Nobel Peace Prize. So Alfred Nobel comes from a family of Swedish chemists and his dad owns a munitions company. Like, you know, they deal with like all these different ammunitions uh, and he gets very fascinated and ends up um, developing dynamite. So Alfred Nobel actually invented dynamite. Like that's, that's part of the thing. So as part of this, he actually um, starts selling it to different countries. And he's thinking like, this is going to be the end of all war in his mind, because he was a pacifist by nature. And he said, look, once people realize that you can end the, a war with all of this dynamite, they're going to quit going to war. But in the reality, what happened was a lot of company countries were buying it and then they were using it to you in you know as part of their weaponry mm-hmm. so anyhow fast forward he goes to his brother's funeral in paris france and picks up the newspaper that morning and finds out that the newspaper in paris had actually thought he had passed away and in this article this obituary he's reading as he's reading his own obituary there's a they call him the merchant of death because he, this is what they associated him with all this death because dynamite had caused all this death. So he decides right there, two things in that moment. One, I don't like being called the merchant of death. And two, I'm going to change the narrative of my life. And that's when he 
develops a foundation and ends up becoming the Nobel Peace Prize as he wanted his whole life from that moment on to be about peace. And so it's a really cool thing of, you know, to your point about kind of where we are in our stories and and whether we are halfway or you're a quarter of the way, whatever the case would be, it's not too late. Like you said, with those blank pages to change the narrative now. The best yeah. time to plant a tree is five years ago, but the second best time is right now. Like you yeah. could just decide to do something and go towards that. Your story there, I was like, oh, it's a Tony Stark moment. Like I'm such a nerd. But. <laughs> he was the first Iron Man, Alfred Nobel. He was. I, now I'm going to totally, I, I, I always say that, you know, I always am making these analogies. Like the world just keeps repeating itself. I always, I love stoicism. So I'm yeah, big yeah. into stoicism. I love Marcus Aurelius, yeah. but yep. I also, uh, and I realized that stoicism and Marcus Aurelius sort of thing. And then years later, um, uh, you know, that what lies before us and what lies behind us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. It's an Emerson quote. And that's, that's, I'm a big Emerson fan. It's just Marcus Aurelius later. And then, and then I'm a big Dr. Seuss fan. Same thing. It's stoicism, Emerson, Dr. Seuss. It's just the same stuff with a different bow on it. But now I know that that's where they got Tony Stark's idea. from. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Brandon and I both are fans of the daily stoic and, yes, and me too. all of the things that Ryan does. It's, it's really fascinating. I mention I, him in my book. Oh, you do? In my yeah. section on tattoos. You have to look at it. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So talk to us about speaking of books, because um, I believe this is where you start to unpack these four things that people when they're dealing with. And and I want you to to share a little bit, if you would, about, you know, so you have your gymnastics and then you start having you've got other roadblocks. This is in your mm-hmm. life. Um, where did this concept of the cool keeping your cool, where did that first come about for you? You know, I, when I wrote the book, so that's not in the book, that's more of my speaking. When I wrote the book, I knew that there were certain, I I really spent a lot of time thinking through how did I do that? How do other people do that? What does the research look like that people are able to come through that? And it's some stoicism, some cognitive behavior therapy, some just being an athlete. It's a little bit, a lot of mixed thinking in there. Um, And it's the, and, and it's from different pieces and parts of my own upbringing and the research that I did. Uh, so the concept around cool came when I started speaking and I had to narrow it down even further. So I got everything into a book and I was so happy. I'm like, Oh, I'm done. Everybody's got what they need. They're going to be fine. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> so good, right? like anybody can get through anything now because I did it. Yeah. So I was finished. Um, but then when I started speaking, I realized that it, it, I, you have 45 minutes to an hour on a stage. Sometimes they cut you to 30 minutes. Uh, so you, you really have to really be careful the language that you use and the right. way in which you use an analogy to tell the story to get people thinking. So I, I took the concepts in the book and then I, um, you know, I get to the point, I talk about resilience, why it's not grit and persistence, why it's resilience. I have the audience do some, just a little test on like, how do they handle adversity, which uh, it just gets them thinking about it. And then I talk about um, how you handle the, this is I call them. So there's their everyday, this is T H I S like my, Spill coffee on myself. I got to go change my outfit. Traffic's a lot. It's going to be late for work. Just stuff that happens every day that we we have a plan for the day and it gets in our way. So we have to get there. Yeah. And then we have the bigger this is. So maybe you're, if you're an athlete, you sprain your ankle, can't really train for two, three weeks. It's going to change everything you do for a few weeks. If you're in business or sales, maybe you like injure yourself and you're in a boot for your busy selling season of your quarter. And that's going to change the way you travel. It's going to change how you do things. Um, or you have someone who gets sick or a child who gets sick and you have a few months where you have to adjust your energy and time over them. So 
those are the bigger this is. And then there are these big this is, um, like uh, a death of a spouse or death of a family member or a divorce or uh, a major injury or losing your sport um, or getting fired or your company going under. Big things that are just, you can't keep going that direction. Right. You have to go in a new direction. And so when those big things come around, how do you, what do you do? in those moments. So what my theory is when I get to the COOL um, is uh, how you handle the thises, the little ones, the middle ones, and the big ones, how you handle the thises are directly related to your level of success. So we need to get better at handling them at all levels. So what I do is I take them through this COOL, keep your cool. And I came up with a bunch of different, the first time I did it, it was Google, like <laughs> Google, but with a C. And I'm like, nice. it took me a while to kind of, because I was like, I, it was, but it was still too long. Yeah. It was really, it's really hard. It's like, you know, Apple or Steve Jobs. The hardest thing to do is to take all the pieces out until you get to just the core. Yeah. Um, so I had to keep whittling away at it. Um, but the C is for context. And that's when I talk about um, in the, the book of your life, you know, where does it all fit in? Uh, and then, um, and then I talk about your, um, well, I kind of I did, I did, I did a lot of it already here, yeah. but we talk about putting it in context and looking at, you know, taking ownership of it, you know, where is it going to fit? Do you even need to put it in the book? How big is this in, in the big picture of your life and doing your lifetime timeline? Um, and then we talk about others because we don't have great success without other people. So whatever it is you're going through, even if it's you need support or you just have a great idea, a lot of times when big things happen to us or we have to pivot, we get this great idea and we're like, totally got this. I'm going in that direction. I, I wrote my business plan. I can see the opportunity. I can see my market. I got it. I can see the whole TAM, like whatever business you're in. Like you, right. you have a great idea and you run, but that's when I caution leaders and others, you have to bring in others and let them poke holes in it. You have to bring in others that they see things differently. I am big into finding someone who's done something similar before and learning from them. I don't need to make their same mistakes. Let me learn. Let me not right. make your mistakes. Um, so it's this context and then your ownership and then others. And then the last one is the language you assign it. And the language goes back to, like we talked about, what are you calling it? Uh, and the my my favorite concept around this and for everyone who's listening who beats up on themselves and if you're an athlete i know that's you um <laughs> like we are tougher on ourselves than anybody no else's oh, like yeah, i sure. i say horrible things to myself i would oh. never say to another human yes like ugh, so yeah. bad um i've got body issues i've got st- like it, it's just ugh, no and horrible to myself it. yeah and that's just part of being an athlete and yeah. that we are tough on ourselves so for all the athletes that are out there um the l is the language piece and you'll carry this into your professional careers if you're a ceo and you're listening you do this too um the things we say to ourselves, the language we use in our head, it comes out of our mouth and it becomes our story. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to young people and athletes and all, I always say, just take a moment, you know, when you're having these thoughts and how would you say it to your best friend? Or if you're a parent, how would you say this to a kid? Pretty sure you wouldn't say, wow, you're an idiot and you're fat. And of course you screwed up. Like, yeah, like that, those things would not come out of your mouth. You would say it much kinder to a child. Uh, If you are in business and things are bad and you step out of a meeting and where something blows up and you step out into the hall and you're like, that sucks. And Carl didn't do due diligence. And -and so-and-so didn't even look at how did we not know that the customer wanted that? Or why didn't we know the, the, you know, 
the so-and-so totally dropped the ball on it. And that graphic was totally wrong. Who did that math? Like, and you're walking down the hall with all that. Like, yeah, we are, we're, we're sunk. This is horrible. We're This is going to be the death of us. And you're yeah. walking down the hall with that. People around you hear it. People you're working with hear it. And even if it's all freaking true, you, the, you they think it, but you have an opportunity to say that all as you walk out that room. And then that becomes the energy and the words that come out of your mouth. And then later at night, maybe you're out to dinner with your wife and you're at the little cute little bar down the street and you see some young people from the company. And then those young people from the company are like, oh, God, how's he? They blew up some meeting today and it's a disaster. And they're like, right. really work it like it's going to we, we should have probably all put our resumes out because it's going to be bad. Yeah. Or you step out of that same meeting and you're walking down the hall going, oh, didn't see that coming. And we need to prepare better. Let's get a better team together. Let's figure out where this went wrong. We have a big challenge in front of us. Find me some of my best people and let's go after this thing. Cause this is, you know, it's going to be tough. Then this young kid runs into you at the bar, like overseas, you know, you and your wife are at the bar and they oversee and see you and they tell their buddy like, Oh, some big's happening. And uh, there's come some big challenge and they're looking for good people. I hope they pick me. It's the same situation. Yeah. It's the same thing. And so if you're an athlete and you're beating yourself up and saying you're not like after a game or something bad happens. Um, the language in your head, you, we remember the one bad pitch, the one fall off the beam. We remember the one pass we threw that wobbled and could know was uncatchable. Like we don't remember all the good stuff we did. And so our ability to tap into the bigger picture and to choose language around our failures or what's wrong or the things that we're dealing with, just like being, are you stuck at home? Or are you safe at home? Like yeah. it, the words in your head come out of your mouth and they become your story. If you get fired from your job tomorrow and you call up and rail at somebody and like they're idiots and they're like, and you just, and, and call back to the office, that becomes your story of everybody around you. There's like, Ooh, he was pissed and he's mad. And it's like, he thinks, you know, Karen didn't do her part and Carl didn't do his part. And then they should have fired them first. Like that becomes the story of your yeah. departure. Or if you get fired tomorrow, and I do this with a lot of people who have been let go over the last years, or if you get fired tomorrow and, and somebody calls to check on you or you call back up, you're like, hey, need something. Everybody's looking, knows who's hiring, let me know, and good luck to the rest of you. You can still have all those thoughts in your head. Don't, don't make that who you are yeah. going down the road. Then all those people are like, oh man, didn't see that coming. Anybody know of anybody looking to hire? Now they're helping you find something. Right. That's your story. Yeah. Same thing. You just... Somebody made a hard decision and had to let you go. Like I love, I love the way you uh, you say the the words you use in one of your keynote addresses was "you start the echo," which yes. I thought was so well crafted. I mean, it, it's so yeah. true. And, and and look, Nina, I mean, we do this. We're all parents here. Uh, we we do the same thing as parents. It's so important, you parents listening, that what Nina's talking about right now. I can't tell you. I mean, you know, you use the example of business leaders, but when Tra traumatic things happen at home or adversity strikes the family or whatever the case may be, your children are watching you model these things. Like they are paying attention and the words you use and the, and that those initial moments right after it, like you say, the language, just like that person leaving the boardroom, that person who's sitting around the dinner table and that young impressionable individual that lives in your house is paying attention to all of the things that you're saying. And you can set the tone right then, not just for how you're going to navigate the next few weeks or months as a family, 
but a lot of times for that individual's life, how they're going to approach things in their life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember doing this through our divorce, uh, like we had a pretty amical divorce, I married a pro ball player. Uh, didn't work out. <laughs> um, uh, he played Niners for the Expos and for the Phillies. We're still nice. great friends. We actually yeah. talked earlier today. Like we're still good buddies. Yeah. But like our ability to manage through that and say kind things, even when our brains might not have wanted to say the kindest things. Um, we really are proud of that. We're really proud of that. And it can be from anything. Now, if you you get a flat tire and you lose your crap on the side of the road, your kids see that. And then they think that that's just how what you do when that happens. Or if your boss calls in the middle of your something and you blow up and call him an idiot and like they think that work is bad and that bosses are mean and they're going to go through life with that attitude. I've managed and mentored and counseled so many young people through their careers. And usually there's some people that just hate work and they may be really talented. And I really think they career and future, but there's nothing I can say or do. No title I can give them, no amount of money I can give them that's going to get them happy. But they they have this thing in their head that work is bad. And so I have a hard time not thinking that that didn't come from somewhere in their childhood where they had a parent who just hated work every day and said that out loud. And that's like ingrained in you at some point. So yes, the parenting piece is key. Um, I talk more so in my second book, but a little bit at the end of this first book about my son and having Tommy John and what do you say in those moments and how do you help people through that and the language to use? You know, he wasn't ready for me to hear, oh, but it's just, you're only 19 and you had your whole life ahead of you and you're not even going to care about this later. Like, no way was he ready to hear that. Right. Uh, he needed me to sit in the super suck with him and tell him the whole world wasn't fair. And that like, yes, all those times sweating, what was that for? I don't even know. You know, like he needed a, a friend and someone to be with him in those moments. But in those moments too, I could also let him know that, Hey, right now you're okay. And you'll get the surgery and we'll figure it out. And you're going to be okay. And, you know, you're going to still fall in love and have a career and do all these things in the future. And baseball may or may not fit in. And that's going to super suck if it doesn't, because I know you love it. And, you know, and, it, and it's our ability to use language that is calming. I call it non-anxious presence. When anything big happens, if you can be a non-anxious presence in someone's life, you are doing them a huge service because they already feel bad if they've lost or they've gotten injured or something bad has happened. Nothing you say is going to fix whatever just happened. So to be a non-anxious presence and just let them know you're there and, you know, it's really key. And I think I had one coach who was good at that. Most of the coaches I had pretty much just got angry when I got injured. I had one that stormed out. I was in Hungary, stormed out of the room when I fell and landed poorly. Like it's not, I look back and think, why was I even in that sport? It was bad back in the day. It's, we know that now because we've seen all the documentaries, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to give you credit for something. Brandon, do you have something I no, no, want no, to no, cut? Uh, I wanted to give you credit for something and I was going to comment on. So I'm glad you brought this back up about the Tommy John surgery. It's so critical to meet that individual where they are in that moment, because uh, too often, and you see this all the time, especially, and I, I feel like we're shifting gears onto the parents now, but especially with parents, when their kid goes through something, they didn't get the role in the school play. They didn't come, they come home. And instead of just being like, Hey, let's talk about this. Let's deal with this. This happened. This is something that we need to, you know, kind of navigate our way or, uh, through and around. They want to just be like, Oh, it's all right. Like they just push it aside. Well, that's Eat your favorite credit. meal. Here's yeah, some exactly. candy. Yeah. 
Yeah, it discredits everything that your son has worked on up until that point. Because if we just say it's no big deal, well, then what we're also saying is all of those years in the batting cage, all of the other things mm-hmm. are, are no big deal. You you don't get to own their this. And for right. them, that is a huge this. And you can't minimize it as a parent. And you know, like you said, Nina, when they look back on that page, that this is going to go from being all caps to maybe just a capitalization with the T, right? But it, it's still going to be there on the page. But you you don't get to do that because you're not the author of the book. So you just got to be there for them. And you could be there for them and give them some language to help them through it, too. Mm-hmm. So like when my uh, daughter, she was a dancer. Um, she was a gymnast when she was young, but then she got tall like her daddy. So she got into dance. Um, so she it was, she danced with Joffrey Ballet, beautiful ballerina, wow. beautiful dancer, like really talented. Um, we were both athletes. We made like little super jocks. Um, so she was really quite a beautiful dancer. And then she wanted to get the lead in this thing and she didn't get it. Uh, and one time I went up to New York and she auditioned for ABT, American Ballet, and she didn't get it. She ended up with Joffrey instead of ABT. So my ability to let her fail, like these parents who are just like, no, I'm going to go tell them they need you like okay. bad idea. Yeah. My ability to let her fail um, and let her sit in the super suck, I call it like, and just know that you've tried really hard and other girls made it because they were better. Like there's someone better and someone behind you. This is where you fit in. Like, it's okay. I think you're fantastic. You need to feel good about it. Like, so the language that we give our kids uh, and the reminder that they not everybody gets to be the best that we all fit into this big giant planet somewhere. And we're just trying to be the best person we are. She still loved to dance. She still had other roles. She had other companies to go with. And then when she didn't get into the college that she wanted her first choice or and this straight A's in a magnet school and, yeah. you know, did all the things she went overseas and did key score. Like she's just a cool kid. Didn't get into her first choice. Um, one, I sat there and went, well, that's their loss. Screw them. They don't even right. know what they're missing. I sat and did that piece with her. Um, and I picked her up when she was in a fetal position on the floor. Like we got yeah. through it. Then she ended up going to another school and that she fit in perfectly and she loved it. And she can't even imagine what her life is like now at this other school. But to be able to sit there with her and go, well, there had to be somebody who had their their criteria on how they pick was not you. This, there's a reason, you know, that, that they didn't choose you. And I don't know if it's your grades or your experience or your community service, but it's okay. There's a lot of other places you can go that maybe you'll fit in better. Do you want to go to that school if nobody's like right. you? Right. Like, so our ability to have that conversation with our kids when they don't make a team or they don't have the, like the success, not all, not every kid gets to get into that school that they all want. You know, that was really hard, but now she just graduated from college. Um, and in my son, who has graduated in med school now, uh, and my middle son, who played basketball, they will all tell you, we let them fail. We let them, one year, the son, my middle son did not make the basketball team. And he like went from being on the team to not being on junior year to getting back on a senior year. And that was a very, very humble pie, a horrible year for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it And to be there with them and say, you know, not, oh, well, if you'd have done this or maybe that. No, 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 no. This is where you are right now. This didn't work. What do you want? Do you want to be on next year? Then let's come up with a plan to do that. Like, mm-hmm. or um, it's not the coach's fault. Like it, it is where you, it, it, it's the place where you're supposed to be. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard to let your kids fail. I, even in college, uh, there was, I could see my one daughter, my daughter, like 
bad boyfriend going in a bad direction. And I was like, oh, do I jump in and say that idea? Like all of it's going to be horrible. No, I had to let her figure out on her own that he went in a good, and then I had to let her fall on her face, literally like get into some trouble and things. And so now she's like, best decision ever was to let me do that. (laughs) Now I get it. She would have, if if I'd have driven five hours and stopped these before it happened, she never would have learned that. And now she's moving to New York and I would feel very worried about her being in New York and having not learned that lesson. Yeah. 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 So we, we, as parents, we have to let them fail. We have to let them fail. You know, I didn't do it all right, but that part, I think I did right. Well, look, I, I hope so much that people just heard literally let it sink in what you just said, because you know, sometimes you know how it is when you're a parent and you've said the same thing to people over and over or to your kids. And all it takes is that one neighbor to come over and say the same thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm hoping that's the case with our listeners right now, because yeah. Brandon and I have talked about that very thing a lot. <laughs> what? So, yeah. yeah. Well, and so it's I'm, hard when it's your kid because you do think your kid's yeah. the best. And I do think she should have gotten into that school and she's a whole right. much better than those other people they chose. Sure, you know? of course. Yeah. Absolutely. They don't know what they're missing, you know. Right. And I did say all that with a lot of curse words to her yeah. as we like, you know, yeah. It, I, I was in. As with you her. should have. As right. you should have. And it yeah. doesn't that I didn't feel that, but at the same time, I was not going to go to bat for her, or fight for right. her, or try to change that. No, they made a decision. It's life. Like you're going to have bosses that you don't like. You're yeah. going to have things that you want to get out of life that don't come your way. It's Mm -hmm. just letting them learn early that it's, you know, it's not always fair, but you're in the control. Right. It's another chapter. It's another page, whatever, however you want to look at it and frame it. It's one of those things that um, I I think all of the things that you unpack tonight are really important for people and to hear. And I know, as I said at the beginning of the show, I knew that people were going to take a lot from the show, especially in how to deal with some of that, you know, be resilient and get through some of that adversity and those challenges, um, you know, that you're facing that everybody goes through and nobody's alone in this, right? I mean, it's everybody has the same thing. How can people follow you on social media? Because I want them to get more of that type of content. Well, I'm, I'm working on uh, up, stepping up my Instagram game these days. So nice. I am on Instagram. It's Nina Speaks and it's broken up like Nina.sp.eaks because there's so much out there. So it's, but it's Nina Speaks you do, or you can just go through Nina Sossum and Pogue, which is a whole giant mouthful, but that's what it is. <laughs> um, and, and you can find me there and I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, and I will be sharing more on both of those. We just doing we're doing a re- reboot of NSP Communications. We've got a lot of really cool stuff coming up. So um, I'm not going to send people to that yet. But yeah, follow and, me and on if Instagram. You have a, if you have a company out there and you want to hire, yes. her, I I have seen some of those videos of her keynotes and very very impactful. And I know she'll knock it out of the park for you. Um, and, and guys go get the books. I mean, you know, this is not the end, the strategies to get you through the worst chapters of your life. And we only unpacked a few of the, the things that Nina has gone through. Uh, you can, that's show two. We'll get, I was going to say, (laughs) Nina, I'm hoping that tonight's page is not the last time that Right. Superwoman flies <laughs> in and shows up in one of the chapters. Our crossover moment. We'll have that's another it. crossover. Right. We'll we'll plan another crossover episode. That, and that's that'd exactly be great. right. That'd be great. And then, uh, and then, of course, for you working moms, but I want both. Uh, Nina, we can't thank you enough. Yeah. I knew you would uh, wow the audience and because it's been one of those things that I just think anytime that I can listen to somebody who's dealt with 
they're this, right? And then manage through it. It may be a chapter, it may be a small percentage of your life, but like you said, at the time, it's a big deal. Um, but you've managed to come back stronger and better than ever each time you've gone through it, just as most people do. So uh, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, I will pile onto that and say, when you meet people who have done uh, successful or big or impressive things, most of them, I will bet all of them went through tough things to get there. So it's worth it. And uh, I appreciate the time to be able to share some of these concepts uh, with the, with your listeners. I don't know if I'm always right, but I do know some of this stuff works and I hear it back from people. And I really hope that somebody can take a nugget from today and have it help them in some way. Absolutely. Thanks, Nina. Thanks, Nina. Thanks guys. Want to provide feedback or stay up to date with the show? Visit our Instagram page at Mental Advantage Podcast, or you can send us an email at podcast at mentaladvantage.net. To have John Cullen work with you or your team, please write to him at john.cullen at mentaladvantage.net. Thanks for listening to today's episode.